the best way to learn is to do it for yourself. And once you do it, you're never going to turn back. And as you see the fruits of all your work, you're just going to get more and more excited about doing the next deal. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and I will be the host today. And today, we'll be speaking with Donato Satani. Donato, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Donato. He is the managing partner of DXE Properties, has managed multiple projects in closing, totaling over $3 billion, a billion with a B in value based in New York City, New York, and you can say hi to him at dxeproperties.com. So, Donato, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure, no problem. So, I started my career in New York City in the construction industry. I then decided that that wasn't necessarily for me, so I went back to school for a master's degree in uh, real estate development. I then went on to work for a couple of owners in New York City, including Maclo Properties and Oxford Properties, two very large owner developers in Manhattan, where I had the opportunity to build some mega tall skyscrapers and close on huge properties, upwards of $3 billion in real estate. Since then, I recognized that you should work for yourself and split off and create a DXE Properties with a friend of mine. And we currently own seven properties, around $25 million in real estate, and we plan to keep going. Are the properties you own through DXC, are those also skyscrapers or are they a different type of real estate? No, they are totally different. The properties we currently own, we own two retail properties with a, one has a development component, both outside of New York City. And then we own five multifamily properties scattered throughout the Southeast mostly. All right, let's talk about the skyscrapers first, because not every day you get to talk to someone who developed a skyscraper. Do you want to kind of maybe tell us about one particular project that you worked on that stands out? Talk about the heights, the cost, and what all goes into developing a skyscraper from a preparation standpoint. Yeah, no problem. So building in New York City is quite difficult. We always call it building on a postage stamp. One of my most notable projects was with Harry Macklow of Maclo Properties. 
So there we developed 432 Park Avenue, which was the tallest residential building in the Western Hemisphere. The total height was about 1,400 feet tall, 106 apartments. The most expensive apartment went for over $90 million. So it was an extraordinary experience to be a part of. But as far as the planning, he bought the site back in around 2006, 2007. It was a Drake Hotel site, it was called. He bought it for $400 million and then had to slowly assemble land around it eventually demolished the site, but the economy turned, so the project stalled. Harry Macklow is a very tenacious developer and was able to convince a large equity partner to step in and continue on with the development. And from there, we planned this 1,400-foot tower, which had never been done before in New York City, for high-end condos overlooking Central Park. You could see all the way out to the Atlantic Ocean when you're up nice and high. So we planned it, we pre-sold a lot of units, and there's only a couple of units left today. So do most skyscraper developers, will they build it and then they will also kind of manage it or sell the units afterwards? Or do they typically build it and then sell it to someone else who then actually sells the, the units or rents out the units? Most developers in New York City, when they're developing condo units, they will build it manage it and sell off the units. Some of them, depending on which company, will keep property management in-house. There's a couple reasons for it. Number one, you want to make sure that the units you sold to the tenants, that they're happy tenants. And the best way to do that is to keep managing the property. Number two, in New York City, there's a sponsorship requirement that you're responsible for any defects in a property after you build it and sell it. So it's best to manage it and know what defects might come up firsthand and be able to fix them before you get into a lawsuit. What are the profit margins on these types of developments? I'm pretty familiar with the multifamily development, just mid or low rise apartments. What would be the ROI you would estimate was made on this project? This project was very unique. I could talk about it from when it was recapitalized on forward with the new equity that was brought in as a starting point. But I would say that uh, Harry was visionary in putting it together at the right time. And we also had some good dumb luck and hit the market right. But in terms of returns, we could loosely say that the project cost around $1.3 billion and the sellout, including the retail, was over $3 billion. Okay, this is out of curiosity. How did you get into... Uh... I guess not why you decided to get into skyscraping development, but how were you able to get on this team for these large projects, right? So if I'm just, if I'm someone who's interested in becoming a skyscraper developer, or at least working on a team, a developer who makes skyscrapers, what's some advice you would have for how I could kind of get picked up by someone? That's a great question. So I worked out of school. I went to school for engineering. Out of school, I worked for a major construction firm in New York City. I actually was able to be on the team that built the new Yankee Stadium up in the Bronx and also Madison Square Garden renovation projects. So that gave me some big time experience on the order of magnitude of billion dollar projects. I then went back to school to try and get onto the owner's side. That's what a lot of people do. So I went back to school for real estate development, and I actually took a job interning for free when the market was bad because no one wanted to hire me. 
So I'd read somewhere that you really want to do something, do it for free. So I took a job interning for free for a smaller owner in New York City, got some experience with that smaller owner, and the equity partner of that smaller owner happened to be the equity partner with Macklow Properties on this huge project. And they called me up one day and said, hey, how would you like to build the tallest skyscraper in the Western Hemisphere? And I said, sign me up. That's really solid advice. That's actually how I got started working for Joe. And so whenever anyone asks me, how can I get into a unique industry like skyscrapers or multi-famous indication, or what's a really good way to quickly climb, I guess, the, the real estate ladder and find your way working for a multi-million dollar or multi-billion dollar company and working for free is a great answer. It sounds like for you, you didn't even work for free for this large company. You started really small. You got that experience and then from there, you were able to jump to the higher level. So, so yeah, really good advice. Let's talk about your DXE with your friend. So I guess my first question is, what's advice you have about partnering up with people, right? How do you make sure you're selecting the right partner? And maybe talk a little bit about any challenges or benefits of partnering up with a friend as opposed to partnering up with someone who you've met pretty recently. I'd say that we both had a decent amount of caution on partnering up. I had done my own development project outside of New York City by myself, and he had bought a bunch of multifamily, mostly in the Midwest and some in the Southeast on his own. So we weren't used to working together by any means and used to just doing things on our own. I would say that we took about a year to formalize the relationship we did a couple deals together using our separate entities to make sure that the relationship was going to work. And then we came up with a pretty strong and robust operating agreement over time as we really got to know each other on a business level to make sure that we could move forward in the right way and create a longstanding company. All right. And then the seven deals that you've done, so you, said, so you own, currently own seven properties, million. Two of them are retail properties outside of New York City. And then you said five are multifamilies in the Southeast. So it sounds like you're kind of focusing on the areas that you know, which is at New York City, and then focusing on, I think you said that he owned some multifamily properties in the Midwest, but I guess he was the guy that knew the multifamily. Do you want to walk us through one of those retail deals in New York City? So how you found it, how much it cost, what you did do it, and then maybe what's his value that now? We bought a small small property up in Upper Westchester in New York. It was a small retail property, has three retail tenants currently, but what we might liked most about it was it had four acres of land right behind it, and it was located right in the center of a wealthy town in Westchester County, which is a major suburb of New York City. So we bought the property. The major tenant, which was Chase Bank, was leaving we were able to get the property off market through a lawyer that we knew just at a compelling price. We actually got it well below the recent appraised value and have had offers since to purchase the property from us just as a flip, which we've denied. But we're hopefully able to secure a new bank tenant in there. We're currently working out a lease on that and just trying to get to the end on that one. And then we also have the opportunity to develop further behind the property, which really makes our basis on that land a zero. So if we get this lease done, which we're confident on, I'd say within the next year, 
from purchasing the property, we would have doubled the value of the equity in the property at a minimum, not even including the potential development further down the road. Is the reason why you're targeting a bank, is that just because banks are really good tenants or is it just because the current unit is set up for banking? It's really both. The current unit is set up for banking and actually has a drive-through. The town won't let you use the drive-through if you don't continue the use as a bank. So there's advantages to going after a bank. And then furthermore, everyone knows that a bank is a credit tenant. So when we go to sell the property, selling the property with a credit tenant is going to be a lot more valuable, especially in this tenuous retail market than selling a property with, call it a a restaurant owner or a day spa. What is a credit tenant? What does that mean? Just like curiosity. I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. Credit tenant is just a name used for a national tenant whether it be in a retail space or the commercial space. So you would consider like a good bank, a credit tenant, or a larger retail side, something like a stop and shop or a Target or a CVS. Those are all credit tenants. And on the office side, a major office player where basically even if the office went dark or the retail went dark, you'd still be getting your rent payment because the overall company is not going to go bankrupt foreseeably. Yeah, that makes sense why you want to target someone like that. So it's not like a small business. That's the only location they have. It's something that's got thousands of locations across the country are preferable to those smaller mom and pop type shops. All right, Zeno, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever is it's really hard to take the leap into investing in real estate. As I said, I had a full-time job and was investing on the side. And really what you need to do is you just need to jump in with both feet. You need to be smart about it, obviously, and not take a, call it a dumb risk, but the best way to learn is to do it for yourself. And once you do it, you're never going to turn back. And as you see the fruits of all your work, you're just going to get more and more excited about doing the next deal. Alrighty. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right, first, a quick word from our sponsor. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. All right, Zanato, what is the best ever book you've recently read? The best book I've ever read recently, I would have to say Tim Ferriss's book. I'm pretty sure the name of it is called The Tools of Titans. Mm-hmm. It's a great book about a bunch of podcasts that he's done over the past couple of years. He put all the best information into that book. So what I really like to do, I read the book cover to cover, and then I go and seek out all those podcasts that I really liked what he Mm -hmm. talked about because there's just so much more information in the podcast than he was able to put in the book. So it's really like a continuous learning experience over and over again. All right, well, what's the best ever Tim Ferriss podcast we should all listen to? Ooh, 
best ever Tim Ferriss podcast. He does an interview with Tony Robbins, which mm-hmm. was really good. I recently listened to one with Seth Godin, which was very good. And the third one, I would say, is he interviewed one of the founders of Google, which was just fantastic. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? I always say it's kind of a joke, but if my business were to collapse today, I'd just go be a pizza man. I got the name for it. (laughs) There you go. It'd be Donato Singular, not Donato's Pizza. There you go. go. What is the worst deal you've ever done? The worst deal I've ever done. I would have to say that that's a tough question right now. We've been riding a very good market on the way up, and we've been lucky enough to not have too many bad ones. I would say that there's skill involved in that, but we also have to understand that we've been in a good market. So only time will tell, and I'm sure there'll be a bad one in our mix, but the goal is to not have any. Well, then on the other hand, so besides your first deal, so that one we already talked about, and then your most recent deal, what's the best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I've done, I built a townhouse development outside of New York City in uh, Westchester County. The whole deal took me 18 months from the day I uh, closed on the contract to the day I sold the last condo and got out of the deal. We did really well on that deal. All the investors were very happy. And I actually now live in that same village because I like the experience of building and the people that I sold to so much. And then lastly, what is the best ever place to reach you? Best ever place to reach me? If you go to our website, www.dxeproperties.com, or my email address is dsatani at dxeproperties.com. All right, Donato, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Lots of good information. Just to recap some of the main takeaways. So you talked about how you started off in the construction industry and were able to transition into working on the tallest residential building in the Western Hemisphere. And then from there, you learned that You wanted to kind of go off on your own and start your own business. And so we talked about some of the things to put in place when you're going off on your own and creating a partnership. In this case, it was with a friend, but these lessons really apply to any sort of partnership. And a few of the main things were to, number one, make sure you do a few deals together via your separate entities first, just to make sure everything works out before jumping in and starting a business together and having the same LLC You mentioned how you work together for a year first as well to make sure everything worked out and then also make sure that you create a strong operating agreement to set yourself up for success. You also talked about how you were able to go from working in the construction industry to working on the tallest residential building in the Western Hemisphere and really the main takeaway was intern for free. So if you want to get into an industry, find a smaller owner in the industry and work for them for free to get that experience and then hopefully pursue a larger firm leveraging that previous experience. And I also learned what a credit tenant is, which is essentially a national tenant. So if you're in the retail space, there are advantages to having a credit tenant or a national tenant. So that's a company that isn't just a one-off company. It's like a Chase Bank or a Target or a CVS, just because you're lowering your risk of them not paying the rent. And I guess lastly, was your best ever advice, which I wholeheartedly agree with and is how I got in real estate, which is obviously pretty difficult to get into real estate. The best way to do it is just to jump in with both feet. Now, obviously be smart about it and don't do anything stupid and set yourself up for success by educating yourself and building a strong team. But the best way to learn, the best way to stay in the game long-term is to actually get in the game. So just do a deal, 
for me, I house hacked a duplex, the 3.5% down. It was small, but it got into real estate that way. So again, uh, Nano, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Best ever listeners, thanks for stopping by. I know this episode was valuable to, to you. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot for having me. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast, where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.